All right. Good morning, everyone. Everybody doing okay today? My name is James. I am one of the pastors here at Riverview. So I grew up going to a church when I was young, which placed great importance on all, sort of all the, uh, the, the notable days leading up to Easter. We celebrated Fat Tuesday and Ash Wednesday and Maundy Thursday. Eat only fish on Fridays. Those were my favorite days when I was like seven. We did that. And the day we're celebrating today, which is... Palm Sunday, each of those traditional days are packed with very powerful history and meaning, which is, which is very cool and fun to study. The problem for me was growing up, I didn't understand any of it. Like I remember walking out of church on uh, each year on Palm Sunday, I had a palm frond with me and I had no idea what that meant or what I was supposed to do with it or when it was okay to just not have it anymore. You know, I just had no idea what was going on. So Holy Week is a 2000 year old Christian tradition of remembrance that has its roots in the Jewish Passover that goes back another 1200 years. And so we're talking about 3,200 years of tradition and history and meaning that's all kind of baked in uh, to the week that we are in right now. The Hebrew word for Passover is Pesach. Uh, Pesach literally means Passover. It can also mean have mercy on or protect. Now, you might have already uh, read through or maybe be familiar with the story from the book of Exodus of the Passover, but the summary version is this. Sometime around 1300-ish BC, the bulk of the Jewish nation was subject to a brutal captivity and slavery in Egypt. In fact, the Egyptian pharaoh had issued a decree that all Jewish baby boys upon birth were to be immediately thrown into the Nile River because he feared the, the growing influence of the Jews. The Jews, uh, in Numbers 11, uh, Moses says that he was uh, of, of one of 600,000 Hebrew footmen. So this is a big community of people, right? And so during the time of, uh, of this whole thing, Moses was born to two Jewish parents. They understandably hid Moses. They were afraid of him being killed for three months. And then you may remember the story. They left him floating in the Nile River. Um, and he was found by Pharaoh's daughter. Moses' name means to draw out because she pulled him out of the, the, the Nile River. And of course, very fittingly, he was the one who helped to draw out the people of Israel um, from Egypt. And so God used Moses' faith and his unique influence in the, the Egyptian world to appeal to Pharaoh. Remember the burning bush? He had this unique calling. Uh, and the, the, the appeal was, let my people go, right? I would please set our, 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 the Jewish people free from Egypt so we can return to the promised land. But Pharaoh didn't want to lose all of this slave labor. And so he was really stubborn. And God sent one plague after another to the Egyptian people. You remember it was locusts and then boils, uh, very horrible frogs, you know. And, and it was to show his power and to persuade the, the Pharaoh to free the Jews. But it just made him dig in more. He was more angry and more determined until the very last plague. 
God said, I'm going to pass through Egypt and strike down all of the firstborn children in Egypt, Egypt, except he had Moses instruct the Jews, I want you to kill a, a lamb and take the blood of that lamb and paint it on the doorpost of your house. And every house where I see the blood of the lamb, I'm going to pass over, I'm going to protect, I'm going to have mercy on those families. And so pay close attention to the commands. This is a a little section in Exodus 12 uh, that God gave to Moses. He says, tell the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day this month, they must each select an animal from the flock according to their father's families, one animal per family. You must have an unblemished animal A year-old male, you may take it from the sheep or the goats. You're to keep it till the 14th day of this month when then the whole assembly of the community of Israel will slaughter the animals at twilight. That was a bloodbath of a scene right there. They must take some of the blood, put it on the two doorposts and then the lintel of the houses where they eat them. When the Lord passes through to strike Egypt and sees the blood on the lintel uh, in the doorpost, he will Pesach, pass over the door and not let the destroyer enter your houses to strike you. Now, this is really interesting. In verse 24, he says, keep this command permanently as a statute for you and your descendants. When you enter the land... Someday when you go into the promised land, the Lord will give you, as he promised, you are to observe this ceremony. When your children ask you, what does this ceremony mean to you? You are to reply, it is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord, for he passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians and he spared our homes. Now what's really interesting to me is, at the very same time, God was giving them the instructions of what they would and should do and promising to pass over those Jewish families that had blood painted on the doorpost. He was instituting the Passover ceremony. It was like, before he even saves them, I want you to remember how I saved you. While it was happening, it was that important. Observe this festival eight days a year in the springtime as a way of reminding yourselves and your children and your grandchildren and their grandchildren of my mercy. And that's exactly what the Jews did and still do to this day. Orthodox Jews still to this day set aside the Passover, I believe, begins this Thursday. It's over 3,000 years later and every spring for eight days, they make room to remember. They pause their lives. They clean their homes. They abstain from certain foods. If you've ever been part of a Passover Seder, that's the meal they have on the first day of the Passover. You know, every single part of that meal is very tactile and symbolic. And it's a, it's a remembrance of those events from years ago designed to help impress the memory of God's saving mercy, right? Now, the first day of the Passover festival is called Lamb Selection Day in memory of what happened way back in Egypt all those years ago. Every Jewish family would bring a unblemished one-year-old lamb uh, to the temple or to the Passover celebration to become the blood sacrifice for that family. And then five days later, they had a day called uh, Lamb Sacrifice Day. 
At twilight, the ceremonial slaughter of the lambs would take place to remember how God had saved his people through the exodus from Egypt and to ask him to do it again. You saved us once, Lord. Save us again. It's this prayer. It's this plea. Hosanna, save us. Hosanna means God save. Lord, save us, right? That was a very common uh, uh, chant and song. The, the, The primary liturgy of the Passover consists of six psalms. Psalm 113 to 118, it's called the Hallel. Hallel means praise or bless. It's where the word hallelujah comes from. Yah is God, Hallel, Yah, bless God, praise God. Uh, That's why they call it the Hallel. The very first word of that section of Psalms is hallelujah, bless God, praise God. And there are 18 days every year where the Jews always sing the Hallel together during the Pentecost, the the feast in the fall, the the feast of booths, and then during the Passover and on two of those days are lamb selection day and lamb sacrifice day. It's a bit like Christmas music in our culture, right? When you hear it, you know you're in one of these holiday seasons and I'm sure they have a debate each year as to when it's too early to start playing the Hallel at Target, right? Is it, should it, should we do it on Valentine's Day or no? There's probably Facebook groups that pop up on that, right? Now, as you read the six Psalms, um, you can feel, and we're gonna, we don't have time to do the whole thing, you can feel the words uh, building. I'm just going to read this last little section in Psalm 118. It sort of builds the story and builds the narrative, and then it, it kind of culminates here. Verse 22, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. That's a foretelling of Jesus, the Messiah, the cornerstone that the builders rejected. This came from the Lord. It is wondrous in our sight. This is the day the Lord has made. Let's rejoice and be glad in it. Lord, save us, or Hosanna, right? Lord, please grant us success. He who comes in the name of the Lord is blessed. From the house of the Lord, we bless you. That's hallelujah, The Lord is God and has given us light. Bind the festival sacrifice with cords to the horns of the altar. You are my God and I will give you thanks. You are my God. I will exalt you. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. And it's this big celebration. It's this just uh, Hosanna. Save us, Lord. Hallelujah. We praise you, Lord. And so year after year, decade after decade, over dozens, really of centuries, the Jewish people gathered together for this celebration. Let's remember what God has done. Let's praise his name and let's look forward to what he would do. Bring the Messiah, save us again, Lord. Now there were some exceptions. There were years where they didn't get to celebrate the Passover, where Jerusalem was burned and the people were in exile and it was just very, very devastating part of the consequences of sometimes the Jews would get conquered and, and, and it was just heartbreaking for them. But if you think about the power of this community remembering together and, and in Jesus's time, Herod had allowed the Jews to, to participate in their feast and he had rebuilt the temple. And so it was this glorious celebration that they went through. Now we arrive in Mark chapter 11. Now, I don't know about you, but this study of the gospel of Mark has been kicking my butt, like in a really good way. Very, very challenging, uh, very encouraging. God calls us to give him everything we've got, right? Every single week we come in here, it's like, 
man, this Bible is in my business, right? Our finances, our marriages, our sinful junk, right? Our minds, our thoughts, our hearts, our very lives. If anyone, he says, would come after me, let him deny himself and pick up his cross daily and follow me. What good does it do a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul, right? It's over and over again. And the twist is, and this is where we're heading this week and for the rest of Mark's gospel, the sacrifice Jesus is asking from us is nothing compared to the sacrifice that Jesus has made for us. It's Jesus himself who gives us the grace and the power and the example that enables us to follow him in the first place, right? And so after 10 chapters that we've been through in this series of following the life and the words and the disciples of Jesus over three years, now in chapter 11, Jesus turns his attention. He sets his sights on Jerusalem, In fact, the final week of Jesus' life is such a big deal that Mark spends six more chapters on that one week of his life after 10 chapters on three years of his life. All of history has been pointing towards these moments here in Mark chapter 11. So let's lean in. It says, When they approached Jerusalem at Bethpage, And Bethany, near the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and told them, go into the village ahead of you. So here's a photo from overhead looking down on Jerusalem today. This is from the south, kind of going up. Mount Zion is where Jerusalem and the Temple Mount sit and have always sat. Zion means highest point or holy place. And yes, if you're wondering, Zion Williamson, the NBA uh, player, his parents named him after Mount Zion, which is bold. You are the highest holy place, son. Good luck with that. Bethany and Bethpage are located off the screen to the east here. And then this is the Mount of Olives. The red line is the pathway loosely that Jesus took at on the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Mount of Olives, this lush green area right here is the Garden of Gethsemane. Um, and, and so uh, that you may have heard of that space there. That's where Jesus would very soon pray until he sweat blood. And that's also where Jesus was arrested. What you can't see is the terrain is straight down. The Kidron Valley is very low. It would be hard for a person to even walk up how steep that is. You could probably do it. But that's the path that Jesus took there. Now we know also from reading the rest of Mark's gospel and the other gospels that the day they're talking about here where Jesus approached Jerusalem was the first day of the Passover festival, also known as Lamb Selection Day, right? And so the city was buzzing. Scholars estimate the nation of Israel was now three to five times the size it had been during the time of Moses. So you're imagining filling into the city all the way around here, the sights and sounds and smells of roughly two to three million Jewish people descending. It's a little bit like Houston must have felt like Friday and Saturday as everybody was coming in for the final four, except something way more important. It's not basketball. This is like the history and future of the world is all hanging in the balance, right? 
Each family is dragging an unblemished lamb with them into the city. It just had to have been just quite a scene there. And before they enter, Jesus sends two of his disciples into a a nearby village. Go into the village ahead of you. As soon as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord needs it and we'll send it back here right away. So they went and found a colt outside in the street, tied by a door. They untied it, and some of those standing in the street were like, what are you doing? Untying our colt. They answered just as Jesus had said, and so they let them go. Essentially, Jesus tells two of his disciples, go steal a colt, okay? And then when the people who own the colt ask you, what are you doing with our colt? Say, "Um, you know what? God told me to do it, okay? And he's just going to borrow it. I promise we're going to bring it back. And it worked. Uh, They're like, I guess if God needs our colt, he can have our colt, right? And so um, has anyone ever here ever seen a donkey colt? Anybody? No, not. I don't. I have not. Um, So they're pretty small. Like like the average donkey height gets to be like maybe four and a half feet, like an adult. And so the colt is the baby version. It's a small little fella. No problem for the two disciples to bring this thing back from this, the village. Some scholars think that when Jesus got on the colt, he would not have, like, like a horse, he wouldn't have like, swung his leg over, but would just kind of sat on it like that, just like side out. I don't know. That could be true. I've never been on a donkey or anything like that. So, but but th- that's what happened. So verse 7, they brought the colt to Jesus, and they threw their clothes on it, and he sat on it. Many people spread their clothes on the road, And others spread leafy branches cut from the fields. Now, what in the world's happening with that? So the colt thing is a little odd. Go fetch this colt. I'm going to sit on it. Okay. But when Jesus climbs up on the colt, it's like some kind of a switch flips, right? I mean, people are like ripping their coats off, throwing them on the ground. They're going out into the, the fields and cutting branches down and laying the branches on the street. And then if you read the other gospels, there's a waving of the branches and it's palm branches we find out uh, through other reading. So what's going on with that? Well, there's two things I think uh, happening here. Number one, the people in the crowd, at least some of them know the Bible. Number two, the people in the crowd, at least some of them know their Jewish history. So let me show you both of those things. In Zechariah chapter nine, one of the Old Testament prophets, Zechariah said this, rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Now daughter Zion is another phrase for the Israelites. Zion is the mount that the, the Israel, that Jerusalem sits on, daughter of Zion. So rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout in triumph, daughter Jerusalem. Look, Keep an eye out. Your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, humble and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey, which is like a very specific thing to say, right? This is 500 years earlier. Zechariah told the Jewish people, your king, the long-awaited savior, is going to show up one day. And one of the clues, one of the ways you're going to know it's him is he will be riding on a little baby donkey, okay? And so someone in the crowd, and maybe there was a bunch of people, 
they're like, they see Jesus get on this cult. They, they, they remember what Jesus has been saying and doing or what they've heard about it. And they're like, it's him. This is the Messiah. They recognize Jesus for who he was and they start rallying the people around him. So why the palm branches? Well, historically, the palm branch in the Middle East was a symbol of peace, victory, and eternal life. In addition, uh, about 150 years earlier, there had been a successful Jewish revolt uh, in Jerusalem. Remember, Jerusalem was always under, uh, it was always contention there with who was going to be, and the Jews had had this revolt. And the Jewish people after this revolt had entered Jerusalem shouting and singing with harps and cymbals, and, and they were waving palm branches in celebration of that victory uh, probably peace, victory, eternal life, right? And so now the people around Jesus are thinking, it's happening again. We're winning and we're gonna win, right? But this time it's the Messiah. This is gonna be permanent. And so they wave their Psalms and they shout and rejoice, which is what Zechariah said to do, right? When you see the Messiah coming, shout and rejoice, right? Now, if you read the rest of Zechariah 9, it shows a, it depicts like a battle scene. Uh, God is called the Lord of armies and he appears to defend his people and conquer their enemies with a sword and a, and a bow. And historically, when God saved his people, which happened over and over again in the Old Testament, go back to Moses or David with the Philistines or Elijah, it was a battle. It was like a physical war that happened. People, there was bloodshed. These were bloody triumphs. And so now they see Jesus and they're like, oh man, this is gonna be the end of the Roman Empire. Jesus is gonna just destroy. Look at what, this is gonna be unbelievable, right? Now, that's not God's plan yet. So was Zechariah wrong? No, if you read Revelation 19, you know that one day it describes, Jesus returns on a white horse, he's got a sword in his mouth. His clothes are dripping with blood. He's got king of kings and lord of lords tattooed on his thigh. But on this day, Jesus enters Jerusalem on a lowly colt. He's at eye level with the people. He's not up on a high horse like the Roman military would have been. And he's humbly preparing to yield his life on our behalf. And the people knew it, at least some of them. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna, Lord, save us. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father, David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Now those are direct quotes from Psalm chapter 118. As they began their procession with Jesus up into Jerusalem, they're singing the Hallel, the liturgy of the first day of the, the Passover. Now, how many of them realized that the, the song they were singing and had sung for only, it was coming true in that moment? I don't know. Some of them probably did. Some of them were just like singing along. I don't know. But it's really cool. Save us, Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Jesus then went up into Jerusalem and into the temple. And after looking around at everything, since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the 12. So when we were in Jerusalem last May, we retraced the steps 
We started at the top. We didn't go all the way back to Bethany, but this is about a mile in from Bethpage down through. And again, it's down the hill and then the Kidron Valley's low and then up to the temple. And uh, that's a day worth remembering. This is a quick video, by the way, just so you can see. It's not great. You can't really see the terrain. But that's the view we had from the top of the Mount of Olives looking across at the temple. And this is the gate probably Jesus would have gone in with uh, the crowd there into Jerusalem. For hundreds of years, the Jews from around the world had gathered to remember God every single spring that he saved them once to praise his name, to plead with him, please send the Messiah, do it again, save us again, Hosanna. And this was the year that God answered those pleas. In fact, Jesus' name, Yeshua, means the Lord saves. And he shows up on Lamb Selection Day, no less. No longer is the one unblemished lamb required each year for each family. It's the only unblemished lamb of God, Jesus, who willingly selected himself to be sacrificed. And then five days later on lamb sacrifice day, he shed his blood on the cross, providing salvation for everyone once for all. Jesus' close friend, Peter, one of his followers, if you've been kind of with us for this Mark series, you're familiar with Peter. He remembered it, uh, or he said it this way in 1 Peter, one of his letters, chapter one, he said, for you know that you were redeemed from your empty way of life inherited from your ancestors, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ that is like that of an unblemished and spotless lamb. And so a couple thoughts as we move through this week together and prepare to celebrate Easter. And the first one is very simply this. Have you trusted Jesus Christ to save you? See, here's the thing. All of us are our slaves, subject to the plague of sin, right? But when God sees the blood of the lamb, painted on the doorpost of your heart, he passes over. He protects. He has mercy. He no longer sees your sin. Jesus' blood has covered our sin. God has mercy on us. As Peter said, he redeems us from our empty way of life with his precious blood. Do you know Jesus? For those of us who have already been saved by Jesus, I encourage you, make space this week to remember and to be thankful for that salvation. We are so quick to forget and kind of move on with our lives. Right? I just love how the Jewish people every year pressed pause on their lives year after year to gather as a community, sing the truth of God's word. To remember, when you think about the trials that the Jewish people have faced throughout history and the persecution they endured, their commitment to believing truth is such an example to us. And they never even back then had, knew, had seen the Messiah. Jesus, we've already, we're celebrating the risen Christ next week together. We've already, he's already shown up. How much more ought we spend time in gratitude, remembering that God has, has fulfilled his promises to us. 
One suggestion you might try, um, those Psalms that, that I mentioned earlier in the Hallel, great place to spend some time in the scripture, Psalms 113 to 118. Psalms of Hosanna and hallelujah and thanking God and praising and remembering all of that. Some Figure out some way to be intentional this week, whether it's gathering with your RIV community or whatever gospel community you're part of or your family. Maybe join us on Good Friday or, or on Easter or both. Carve out some time of personal reflection, uh, whatever works for you. And then thirdly, unapologetically proclaim the truth of Jesus to the world. I mean, how weird do you think it must have been and have looked, really, for this procession? Think about what was happening there of people. They're like ripping their coats off and waving branches and singing. Jesus is on a donkey and they're coming down the hillside together. There's not that much of a sense that they're like, I wonder what people think of us. While we, I mean, once they realized who Jesus was, they're like, we got to shout this from the rooftops. And if what we say we believe about Jesus is really true, if he is in fact the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, let's live and speak that truth to the world. So I want to close with this. Another one of Jesus's closest friends and followers was John. Um, You remember Back in Mark 1, John was one of the brothers that was in the boat with his dad and they left their dad in the boat and he was fishing and followed Jesus. In addition to writing, John wrote a gospel account kind of like Mark's. He also was kind of like a prophet of sorts, John was, because God revealed to him this series of visions at the end of his life that became the very last book in the Bible, which is the book of Revelation here. Now think about, as I read this passage from Revelation 5, Think about the fact that John was part of this procession into Jerusalem with Jesus on Lamb Selection Day. I just try to imagine, what was he thinking when he saw this vision? This is uh, Revelation 5 in verse 6. He says, Then I, that's John, saw one like a slaughtered lamb standing in the midst of the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders. He had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent into all the earth. He went and took the scroll out of the right hand of the one seated on the throne. Jesus goes to God and grabs the scroll. When he took the scroll, the four living creatures and 24 elders fell down before Jesus, the lamb. Each one had a harp and golden bowls filled with incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Do you ever realize that? Your prayers are golden bowls of incense in the eternal realm. Makes me want to pray a little bit more. Get a little more incense in there. And they sang a new song. This is the song they sang. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slaughtered and you purchased people for God by uh, your blood from every tribe and language and people and nation. You made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they will reign on the earth. Glory indeed awaits for all God's redeemed. Jesus Christ chose to become a slaughtered lamb in order to purchase people for God by his blood. And one day, every living creature will bow before him in worship. So put your trust in him. And then once you do that, make space to remember and to be thankful 
for that salvation and proclaim his name unapologetically to the world. I wanna uh, have you stand if you're able and we're gonna close by saying uh, some of these words from Psalm 118 together. Uh, We'll see if we can pull this off. So when I start, just join right in. We'll have the words come right up on the screen and this will be our closing prayer uh, for our time together this morning. Everybody ready? This is Psalm 18, 22. Ready, Tim? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This came from the Lord. It is wondrous in our sight. This is the day the Lord has made. Let's rejoice and be glad in it. Lord, save us. You gotta go next slide. Lord, <laughs> Lord, save us. Lord, please grant us success. He who comes in the name of the Lord is blessed. From the house of the Lord, we bless you. The Lord is God and has given us light. Bind the festival sacrifice with cords to the horns of the altar. You are my God and I will give you thanks. You are my God. I will, all right, a little louder at the end. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. Amen. Amen. Go ahead and be seated.